Well, thank you guys. Appreciate that very much. Little ones, uh, nursery age, are free to go out into the nursery. Well, has everyone got a chance to meet Brandy's mom? She's here visiting from South Carolina. This is Benita. She just says, call her mom. And uh, we're glad you're here. Thanks for coming up, all the way up. I know Brandy misses you. Couple announcements. Um, one of the things that we're open to doing with our new building is having a Sunday morning service in addition to our evening meeting. And the evening meeting, by all appearances, looks like that's going to continue to be our main meeting. And so, um, but there are people interested in a Sunday morning service. Uh, especially people from the village. No sooner had we announced that we're willing to do that than people started asking us or telling us, when you start to have Sunday morning meetings uh, at the new building, we want to be there, we want to come. And so we want to explore that and, and, and try to figure it out because we've never done this before. So it's all kind of new for us. But some of you are interested in that. Can I see a show of hands, those who are interested in a Sunday morning meeting? Nice and high. Okay, two, there's one right behind me. All right, um, I think we can meet in the library tonight after the meeting so we don't have to set up chairs in the fellowship hall. So library's just down the hall to the right. It's actually where our church began, so that's kind of, gets me all sentimental. So um, Here's another thing I want to throw out. So those who put up their hand are interested in a Sunday morning meeting and would describe a little bit what we think what that might look like and get some ideas from you as well. Um, if you're interested in doing both for a season, it may help us. Uh, we don't want them to roll around like peas in that building over there. So to have other people who, who can do two meetings on a Sunday, you'd... Uh, there'd be two different kinds of meetings, very likely, and so you'd catch the morning meeting at 10 to noon, then a 5 o'clock evening meeting. How many would be interested in doing two meetings? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, okay. There might be more who are interested in that. We might need your help. That's the reason. We might need you to do that, just to be able to uh, make it feel like it's... Um, it's just not a handful of people. And so and that, that helps when visitors come from the village and they, they get plugged in. Uh, there's more people to help do that. And so we might need your help with that. And so, um, so a couple other announcements. Uh, this Thursday and Friday night at 6 o'clock, that's a big change. We always have our meetings at 7 o'clock. That way people don't have to think about it. But because there's kids at home and, and it's a school night, that kind of thing, um, Thursday night at 6 o'clock, Friday night at 6 o'clock at the Discipleship House, we're doing discipleship training. And um, most of the slots have been taken. There's a couple left. If you see me tonight right after the meeting or text me a text or email that says, I want to be there, we might be able to fit you in and do that. And so we're going to do two nights back-to-back, -back, and that's going to set things in motion. Then there'll be a break because you'll have some things that you'll need to work on. And so uh, it's, a, it's a really, truly unique study, not just content, but the way we're going to study it. And so we need you to be there for that. 
Saturday night at the DH is going to be a prayer meeting, and Grant's been in charge of it, and he's going to lead us in prayer. There's lots of things to pray for, and, and we don't want it just to be a little add-on, attack on to the life of our church. We really want it to be central to the life of our church. If you've not been to one before, it, it's just a wonderful thing. We can accomplish a lot in such a short period of time if we can band together. There's a strategy of how we can do this. So many things to pray for. So if you could join us for that, you'll see notices on Facebook for that. Okay, any other announcements that you can think of? Anything else I'm missing? Okay, seem good? All right. Well, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6. I shared last week concerning the armor of God. And um, as you know, there's lots of different ways to teach that. So I taught it in a way that I could see a couple applications. One is that you teach it. It was written to a church, so there's a way that a church can have the armor of God and that if a church doesn't have it, uh, the enemy can get in and he can split that church. And I've seen lots of them go down the tube, uh, fall apart, fragment, because they lack the armor of God. The enemy got in and just uh, wreaked havoc and wrecked good churches. I don't mean bad churches. I mean really good churches. It can happen to us as well. So we need to be vigilant. We need to, be, um, we need to stand. We need to be aware of the tactics of the enemy. And, um, and then I applied it on a personal level. There's a way for us to personally apply, making sure that we have these pieces of armor in our life. So here's a third way. This is a different way. And this isn't a way that I've ever taught before. So it's, uh, anytime it's a new message, it's a little rough. But let's see what happens with it. And so, um, first of all, I'd like to say two things. One is that Paul's writing... Um, to this church, reminding them that we're at war. We are in a war, and it's a war for keeps. It's a serious war. It's not a game. It's a serious war. And he said, most of the war for your heart happens in your head. And he talks about the, the trickery, the, the wiles of the enemy. I don't know if any of you remember, maybe you never saw a cartoon growing up on Saturday mornings had a cartoon, a Bugs Bunny cartoon called The Road Runner. Road Runner. Road. Road. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that, that's a different cartoon. Uh, Road Runner. And the, whole, the coyote who was always trying to get the Road Runner was called Wiley E. Coyote. That was his name. So he's talking about the wiles of the enemy, except it's not fun, but it's the same kind of thing. He had all these strategies to try to capture the roadrunner. And, and it's the same thing. The enemy is wily. He's, it's called mental trickery. And he plays with our heads. He plays with our heads all the time to get us to, to either sit out the race, quit the race, compromise, or give in to his pressures. So we're at war, and, and that war is in our heads. And it talks about fiery darts, so it's very real. And if you felt a fiery dart, you'd know how real that, that can be. Um, Paul says this is the whole armor of God. It's the entire armor of God. 
He didn't say, etc., 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 at the end of it. It's complete. You don't need anything else. A baby church in Gentile land could survive whatever the enemy threw at them if they had this handful of pieces of armor, that they had integrity, they had the truth, they have righteousness, they have real faith, they have the, the sword of the Spirit, which is a, a prophetic uh, word by the Spirit that, that, that changes everything. If you're, if you're walking in reconciliation and, and if you're a prayerful, worshiping church, you can stand against anything the enemy throws at you if you're doing that. But it's a complete list. It's not a partial list. So what he says is important. What he doesn't say is important. We're going to do some counseling training. Uh, and if you listen to modern-day counseling, you would think that um, that if you've got a problem, you need to go back into your past and find out if someone was involved in Freemasonry or if they dug wells with, with a twitch, with a stick, with a, with a rod. And if you had that in your past, that, that counts for why you've got all these problems today. Except Paul doesn't mention any of that stuff. What he doesn't say is you better find out all what generational curses are on your life. And there's people who spend their whole ministry is breaking off generational curses. Paul doesn't mention it here in the list one time, nor does he mention it anywhere else in any one of his letters. You'd think he'd write to the Thessalonians. They're brand new out of the box, brand new Christians. And he, you would think he'd write to them and say, Make sure you break off generational curses. He doesn't. He doesn't. That's huge. Because people spend a lot of time and energy doing things that really don't change anything. For example, when I was a young Christian, I, would, I had a little baby that I cherished more than anything. It's hard to believe you could love someone you'd not met before so completely. But when you become a dad or your firstborn son, something powerful kicks in. And so I was afraid I'd cast out some demons and I was afraid they might retaliate. And, and so I would paint my house by faith by waving my hand around each room of the house before I went to bed at night. I couldn't go to bed without pleading the blood of Jesus around my house and around the property. And, and it was a soggy old house had a, on a stream and it had a river running through the basement with, completely with lily pads and frogs. And, uh, and back then, frogs, if you had frogs, they were demons, and that's what we were taught. So people were trashing their fountains. Anything that had a frog or an owl on it, people were trashing. The crazy stuff that comes down the pike. But, so, but I would have to go down in the basement at night, still in my jammies. I couldn't, you know, I have to get out of bed if I forgot, and I'd have to go down there, and I'd have to kind of, by faith, paint the walls of the house. I couldn't get in my car and go anywhere without pleading the blood of Jesus on my car because I'd been taught, and I'd heard stories of people who would walk the property line pleading the blood of Jesus, and then the next day they'd find a dead, rabid fox laying on their property line. And so we'd heard these stories. And then one day Jesus spoke to me and said, can you find that in the Bible? I thought I could. And so I went looking, <laughs> And I was absolutely shocked to find out it wasn't there. 
He showed me that the, if there's any place it should be, it should be to the Thessalonians. They were only a month or two old, brand new baby Christians. Paul had to flee, lead the, leave them without really any spiritual leadership, besides some older guys who could take up the position of elders there. But they were vulnerable, and they were under persecution. And Paul writes them. He, he, goes for, he leaves them because he has to flee, he gets to the next town. They chase him out of that town. He gets to the next town, and he writes them a letter. That's how fresh this letter is. And when he gets to chapter 5, if you read First Thessalonians chapter 5, it almost is bullet point form of everything that's really important. Make sure, it's like a guy's writing saying, make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. And I got there, and, and the Lord says, wouldn't you think it'd be in there somewhere if you're writing to baby Christians that they must plead the blood of Jesus on their chariot before they started up. But he doesn't. The reason is, it's not part of the entire armor of God. And neither are people who put statues on their dash, wear crosses around their neck. We were at a, we were at a, um, a, a wedding recently where they had paid a priest to come in and put a cross on the wall in order to bless that business and stop the enemy. And they put a figurine cross, probably cost them thousands of dollars to have that done. But it's not mentioned anywhere that we put a cross on anything. It's not part of the armor of God. Isn't that amazing? What a relief. It means it's a handful of things that you need to be mindful of. It's not a list of 25 things. It's not a big, vast, and nebulous list that you can't ever figure out or put your hand on or can't, you can't get your head around it. It's too big. No. Paul says it's, it's these things, these few things. And so let's look at it. And here's how I want to approach this teaching tonight uh, in terms of counseling. Let's look at it in terms of counseling. If you're sitting down with someone, whether they're a believer or a complete unbeliever, and you're counseling them, the number one thing you do is you bring them to the truth. You bring them to a place where they, they bring their life and what they've done and what they've been doing to the light. Bring it out in the open. That's half the battle right there. The truth will set them free. Not just Bible truth, just being honest. Just being honest and say, I have a problem. My marriage isn't working. I have an addiction. I have issues. I, I have a temp temper problem. Whatever it is, just getting them to bring it to the light stops the devil. He can't work. See, he does most of his work in darkness. He gets his hooks in somebody by, by keeping them in shame and keeping them doing things in secret and on the edge where no one can see it and in darkness, then he can control them. He can magnify it. He can, he can really develop anything he wants to develop because it's all done in secret. As soon as they bring it to the life, you can see their shoulders sag with relief because they got it out there. That stops the devil. Just getting it out whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian. The devil wants to get you in isolation. He works in isolation. He wants you to walk in shame so you can't admit that you got a problem. 
Someone said confession is good for the soul. It really is. It really is. Just talking about it. I, I counsel a lot of people, and I just see them just finding tremendous relief by being able to say the words, getting it out loud. Number two, helping them understand salvation. Helping them understand that, that salvation includes God will deliver them, he'll heal them, he'll help them, he'll, he'll work at uh, uh, providing for them. It's all wrapped up in the word salvation. It's a profound word. And helping them come to the realization that there's help available for you. There's hope. There's help. Paul wrote to the people of his day, and he said, uh, he said, there's salvation. This is the day of salvation. As long as it's called today, there's the day of salvation. As long as it's called today. Well, what's today? It's today. And we get to tomorrow, and you know what it would be called? Today. As long as it's called today, there's hope. There's help. Jesus saves. Jesus saves all men. Jesus, it's his will that all men be saved. It's his, it's his will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Get them to rest in his salvation, embrace his salvation, look to him for salvation. That's half the battle. Not to some clinical course, not to some medicine, not to some uh, electrolysis, not some, something else for salvation. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It is our salvation. And if I can get a person to begin accepting that, and then when I meet Christians, when they've added stuff to their salvation, buttons and beads and buggies and beards and nonsense, it doesn't have anything to do with salvation. And we can get them to push that stuff aside and just trust Jesus alone for salvation. It's powerful. It's powerful. The other thing I need to convince Christians of their salvation is not some flimsy little thing that they can lose in their sleep. It's not some flimsy little thing that'll fail them. It's tougher than any trampoline in your backyard. You can jump on this thing. It'll hold you. It'll sustain you. It'll be there when you need it. And I have to convince people the powerful salvation that Jesus has provided. Number three. It's our goal to help people get right with God. It sounds so old-fashioned. sounds so Billy Graham-ish. But the whole idea is if we can get people to get right with God, it stops the devil. It causes him to pull hooks out of their head and they have no, he has no more grip on them. Get them right with God. Get them to, to bring it to the light, yes, but also to receive cleansing and forgiveness by his blood and by his grace. There's power in that. And I have to work to get Christians there all the time. I'm always working to get people saved, whether they're Christians or not. <laughs> get people right with God. If, if we can get people right with God 
and write with each other. Almost anybody who's going to come to you for counseling has got a whole string of broken relationships that they hate. They hate the condition. They hate, and they have to medicate themselves. They have all kinds of side issues because they've got a broken relationship that won't let them sleep. A broken relationship that they regret. Regrets upon regrets. A broken relationship with God. A broken relationship with family. A broken relationship with friends. And, and, and they're medicating themselves in so many ways because of those two things. If we can get them to know how to go back, to bridge back to God, if we can get them to bridge back to people where the relationships are broken, all the other stuff just falls off. I don't know what the number would be. Say two-thirds. Maybe that would be low. Two-thirds of most of our problems, physical, mental, emotional, are because of broken relationships, either with God or with men. Get them right with God. Get them to make things right. The first thing God did when, he, when I first met him, I was saved, I was forgiven, but I felt like he wanted me to bring everything to the light. I sat on a little stool in a, in a, in a sunny spot in my apartment, and I, and I confessed it as if he didn't know. And I named every sin that I'd ever participated in. I got it out there and I said it aloud. And I took cleansing intentionally, deliberately, slowly, letting him wash me with his blood. And then I told the devil, you have no more authority over that area of my life. I, what I gave to you, I now give to Jesus. I got right with God. I didn't need any post-salvation deliverance that's so common today. I didn't need counseling. I didn't, uh, there's so many things I didn't need because I got right with God. And as I got right with God, the most surprising thing happened. This compulsion, the desire came in me to begin writing letters of everybody I ever used and lied and, and, and wrecked their life, my ungodly lifestyle. I wrote a stack of letters. I took a stack of letters this big to the post office one day. Now, did I, was I earning my salvation? No, I was saved. I wanted to be right with God, but I, just, I wanted to be right with people. I wrote old girlfriends. You don't know how hard that is. And the letter went like this. I'm sorry for what happened and how I treated you, but I've now become a Christian and I regret so much the way I treated you. I've asked God to forgive me and I ask that you forgive me. What a freedom to be able to see those people on the street. Some of them have become my friends since. And see them on the street and actually be free. No shame. I don't have to dodge into some restaurant to avoid them. I want to be right with God and right with man. And it caused the devil to take hooks out of my brain. Took claws out of my brain. He lost grip. When I chucked those letters in the mailbox... I walked out of there, I just felt free. Free. And, and the fact is, since then, I'll, I'll try to walk in my righteousness, trying to live right, do right, be right, but it's never enough. So many times, the only thing that really stops the devil is when I take the gift of righteousness that's given to me by Jesus and I clothe myself with it and I stand and I tell the devil where to get off because I'm right with God, not with my own righteousness, but a righteousness that comes from Jesus. When God sees me, he doesn't see old Penn Clark, he sees Jesus. You can't get any more right than that. And there's times I have to rest in that. 
because I can't, while I'm walking out my righteousness, it just doesn't cover enough for me. I have to rest in the gift of righteousness. And I teach that. I get people to rest in it. I counsel people to rest in it. Teach people how to reconcile with each other. That's the feet shod with the gospel of peace. The next one's the sword of the spirit. And I've seen this so many times and I'm working with someone that if I can get them to pray and ask Jesus what he would say, he speaks to them every time. And when Jesus speaks to them in their condition and the, the conflict that they have and Jesus speaks, it changes everything. I've seen people that women walk out like they've had a facelift. They look 10 years younger. Faces shiny, eyes bright, because Jesus spoke to them. One form of counseling that is very popular these days is an unusual name. It's called Theophostics. Theo is God. Phostics is light. And the idea is or God speaking in the light. The idea is that you bring your needs to Jesus and Jesus speaks to you. It's a whole form of counseling. Well, I've been doing that all my Christian life. I just believe that Jesus will speak. And to bring people to a place where they can say, Jesus, I've, I've been hurt in this area. What would you say to me? He always speaks. I've never seen him not speak. When he says something, it sets you free. Well, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it, as you're praying with the person and you're counseling with them, the Holy Spirit speaks through you prophetically or gives you a word of knowledge and say, here's something that's happened. What does this mean? I get this word. What does it mean? And when they embrace that, next thing you know, they find out that Jesus loves them and Jesus sees and he knows their condition. He knows where they're at. They get free just by the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking. The reign of God. It's powerful, powerful. Stops the enemy. But we need to know how to wield it. We need to, need to know how to use it in our lives and how to use it in counseling. Next one is faith. <laughs> one of the most amazing things you'll see in counseling is, is you can believe for people, for their marriage and for their issues and for their uh, bondages that they're in. But if you can get them to believe... If you can get them to stand up and exercise faith, now you're cooking with gas. Now you can get something done. You get them believing. Get them telling the enemy where to get off. Get them to say, I, I believe it's over. I believe it's done. I believe in the outcome that God's heard me, that God's going to work on my behalf. You get them moving in faith. It's, it's an amazing thing. I remember working with one young guy. His wife had left him for another man at the factory. He, he came, he was so broken, I led him to Jesus, just using the methods that we're talking about. And he was so angry with his wife, and I just brought him around to his own sin and his own condition, things that he had done. He brought them to light, confessed them to Jesus. And I just began working, and I used the sword of the Spirit to cut some stuff off, bring some things around, get him to stand in reconciliation to his wife, believing that he could get her back. I believed that he could, his pastor said, oh, forget about her. We got lots of women. Take your pick. 
I got him right, but when he told me that, I got him right by the spiritual lapels. I said, only believe. Stick with me. Stick with me. Stick with me, believing God, and you'll get your wife back. You'll get your life back. You'll get everything back. Believe. Only believe. Isn't that what Jesus said? Only believe. It was hard for him, and he'd be up and down. He'd be believing. My faith was constant. His was all over the map at times. He'd call and he says, I just feel like quitting. I, I, what she's done to me is so awful. Let's believe God. And so I got him walking by faith. And it stopped so much of the stuff that the enemy was thrown at him. It seemed like there's only two people on the entire planet who believed that God could turn this thing around. And then one day he got a phone call. And it's his wife saying, I, I want to come home. One of the things I was believing for is I said, I don't want her just to come home. I want her to come home saved. She said, I, I've met Jesus and I want to come home. I just met with him not too long ago. I had breakfast together with him not too long ago. Still married. And what happened after that, they adopted a whole bunch of kids. They went on. They had life. They got their life back. All they needed is someone to stand, someone to believe, someone to contend with the devil, someone to believe God. He loves it when we talk this way. That man was so grateful, so grateful to get everything back, so grateful to go on and have a life. Some people's faith is misdirected. It's off in the wrong direction. It needs to be brought back. We need to help them with that. The final thing is prayer. If you look at the armor of God, it's always ends, the people most generally end it with the sword of the spirit. But if you look at it, there's a semicolon. It doesn't end there. The next thing is prayer. And the word prayer there has to do with worship get people to worship God. It has to do with praying, believing God. Yes, it has to do with supplicating. It has to do with talking it over with God. Prayer is a powerful, powerful weapon. The enemy can't work with you when you're praying. We see Jesus doing that. Prayer is a powerful thing. I heard this one time when I was a young Christian. The man that was speaking, it was a... Uh, conference and he said does the enemy tempt you and every hand went up he said would you like your temptation life to be boring <laughs> we couldn't believe that was possible he said he says here's how you can get the devil just to stop leave you alone you'll be bored you, you won't even have any temptation for whole periods of time you won't know what hit you because of the rest the peace that you have here's what you do and this is what he told us and now I'll tell you it's called prayer targets. And I did this. I do this even now. I do this. I do this to you. You don't even know I do it. So. so what you do is, by faith, you put a prayer target. Jim, stand up. So I'm going to put a prayer target on Jim. Uh, Jim's struggling with uh, a health issue, we'll say, because that's not true. So we'll say that. And so, so I care about him. I pastor him. So I put a prayer target on him. And then... Over here, the enemy's playing with me. He's, he's speaking to me. He's playing with my head. There's a, there's a war going on against me. And so what I do is I say this. I say, uh, Mr. Devil, every time you tempt me concerning that particular issue, I'm going to pray for Jim. 
And so sure enough, he comes back with that same old line, same old tricks. He's only got five tricks. He's not very creative. He's not like our God who's super creative. He's, he's very limited. So he does the same thing over and over again. So he comes at me with the same thing. I say, oh, that reminds me. Hold that that temptation, because that reminds me to pray for Jim, and I start praying for Jim, and I go after him like a man on fire. I start praying for Jim. Well, you can't be praying and tempted at the same time. It's not possible. And I'm praying for you that you get the breakthrough that you need. It could be for a job you're seeking. It could be anything. And I go after, and I pray for you. It might be that I'll be, if I'm tempted by a certain person, I'll say, ah, what I'll do is every time I'm tempted by this person, I'm going to pray for their marriage. I'm going to pray for their unsaved husband. I'm going to pray for someone else's marriage over here. It doesn't matter where you stick the target. You can put it on anything. Stick that target on something, and then you're walking through life, and all of a sudden that insidious temptation comes your way, and you stop. This is optional. You can say, thank you, Mr. Devil, for reminding me. (laughs) That reminds me. You don't even have to thank him. You say, that reminds me. And then you just go after whatever you got the target stuck on. If you've got an issue with pornography, and every time you, you're in a certain place, it comes to your mind. You say, all right, I'll tell you what. Every time I'm tempted to lust or to look or to listen to that line, I'm going after this. After a while, the enemy says, man, every time I tempt him, He just gets on fire and sets a bunch of other people on fire. I'm going to leave him alone. And after a while, you say, boy, I thought I was struggling in that area, and it's just dried up. Do you want to try it? Let's try it for a week. If it doesn't work, I'll give you your money back. (laughs) What do you think, Brad? Should we do this? You just got a piece of weaponry. You just got a piece of armor. You didn't even know you had. What do you think? Should we do it? Let's do it, and we'll check results next week. Stick prayer targets. How many can you stick? As many as you want to. As many as you have need of. Stick them on things. Stick them on people. Stick them on needs. Pray for your own marriage. Say, every time you tempt me this way, I'm going to pray for my marriage like a man on fire. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. I'm not going to be bullied around by the enemy anymore, and I'm not going to let him bully anybody else around. I'm a counselor who sets people free. I'm a counselor who's effective. I have tools that work. You say, do you have a PhD in counseling? You say, no, I just have problems. I have so many problems, and God has helped me in my problems, and he's given me ways out of every temptation. He's given me a a solution for everything I need. That's better, than a, that's better than a PhD. That's a DDHG. That's a double dose of the Holy Ghost. That's all you need, right? Amen. Let's stand together. We need a DDHG. How many want to make a difference in people's lives everywhere you go? There's tools. There's tools that are effective. Anybody can use them. A child can use them. It stops the enemy. That's the whole goal. Jesus, you're a mighty king. 
We read in your word that a king would never send someone to battle without providing armor. And that's just as true of you. We don't have to go to war at our own expense and provide our own gear, our own weapons. Thank you that you're a mighty king who provides everything we need to be free and to set other people free. Father, help us to keep it simple. Help us to keep it straightforward. And help us to stand. Having done all to stand. Help us to stand. In the name of Jesus. Amen.